Back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we do a, a bit of an unconventional episode this evening as we talk about uh, what's the guy's name? Tim Burton. That's who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, Vinny, do you want to explain a little bit? Uh, I don't know the inception or just kind of a preface to talking about Tim Burton. Uh, sure. I think that I would say to a degree, we all enjoy Tim Burton. I think that Tim Burton, while his films are not horror movies, they are, I hate to even call them horror adjacent because I feel like they're even closer than that. Tim Burton made non horror films with a flavor of horror that showed you how much of a monster kid he was like all of us at one, in his early in his life. Um, so I think we'll talk about, I think we'll talk about what his uh, influence came from, what he made, what you guys are throwing me off. Everybody you're making the gas face over there. Uh, anyway, I think I've been real feed. <laughs> <laughs> so we're mostly going to talk about the movies that Tim Burton directed. I think we have kind of agreed, uh, though some other things will probably come up that you pretty much have to mention. But that's the take. While it's not strictly horror, it's certainly extremely influenced by horror. So let's dig into it. Okay. Uh, I just, yeah, I think if we want to go around at all, I mean... I think you summed it up pretty well, though. I think we can all say we we like Tim Burton, so I don't know that we need to really spend a whole lot of time talking about, you know, my first time with Tim Burton. Um, I think we all would probably have about the same sentiment here. So, Well, there goes my contribution. <laughs> Professor, would you like to wax poetically before we start? <laughs> Just kidding. No, he, it was interesting with him because he made a huge impact on me at a young age without me even knowing who he was. Yeah. Just by chance, the movies he made were such big deal to me uh especially his um first three big time movies um were just they were everything to me so i think you know kind of to echo what your guys have already said is that he really appeals to those of us who have off the beaten path tastes um the fact that we're you know past 175 episodes of a horror podcast obviously we're all kind of entrenched in this stuff and so I mean, for most of us at a young age, it was stuff that was accessible when we weren't allowed to necessarily be watching uh, visceral or intense horror. This was kind of scratching that itch. So, yeah, I think he's got an interesting relationship with the genre. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I, I definitely agree with what he just said. Um, 
Pee-wee's probably the first movie I saw, but I didn't realize that was Tim Burton till later. Um, and then uh, seeing Beetlejuice, uh, and then Bat when Batman came out, I knew that was Tim Burton, and I knew who Tim Burton was. So, um, and I think that probably is around the time period I figured out that because uh, Pee-wee's definitely uh, Burton style, and it's it's definitely a Burton movie. I just at the when it came out, I didn't know who you know. I probably could have cared less who, who directed what at that point. So, Okay. Well, get us started, Doug. All right. So actually, uh, I, yeah, probably first actual feature, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, 85. Yeah. There is two shorts because he has a bunch of shorts. There's one I noted just because I would like to track that down is Vincent in 1982. Be nice if they'd at least throw it on as an extra feature. I I want to say that they have thrown that on as an Evan? extra feature on something, but I can't remember what at the moment. Because the second one is Frankenweenie, which that one is a mm -hmm. bonus feature on the um on the full length movie. Yeah. Um. Also, good to note too is uh, Frankenweenie was produced by Disney in '84, and he did Black Cauldron. I think he worked on Black Cauldron. So he, he worked at uh, Disney mid '80s, which is uh when Disney was probably its darkest. Had that Don Bluth fill, uh, which also Don Bluth worked for Disney too, and uh, they hated how dark he was, and Disney fired him, which I always find funny because they fired him for being Tim Burton, and now he's doing all these Disney movies. So and then and then they eventually <laughs> wanted him back because he was Tim Burton. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize, of course, obviously when I watched, I was you know seven or eight years old when Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out. I didn't give a shit who the director was, but Pee Wee's Big Adventure is one of Possibly one of the most influential movies of my life. I know that's kind of weird <laughs> to say about a movie like that, but it really is. Pee-wee's Big Adventure had an enormous impact on me. Uh, Pee-wee Herman slash Paul Rubens had an enormous impact on me as a kid later in Pee-wee's Playhouse. But, of course, it all started for me with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I didn't know it at the time, and I don't remember how old I was when I, when I finally came to the realization that Tim Burton had directed this movie. And then once you know it, you see him all over it. Mm -hmm. You really do, and that's a good. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And it, but it just gave it gave Pee Wee's Pee Wee's Big Adventure exactly what it needed. Paul Rubens was brilliant to have chosen him for a guy who had never directed a feature before. He was absolutely right to get him to direct that movie. And so I think probably not even knowing it, that's that's when I fell in love with Tim Burton's work was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, same for me. Yeah, likewise. Really loved it as a kid. Still love it as an adult. Um, was a big Pee-wee's Playhouse fan, too. So, yeah. And it was probably because of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You know what I mean? Because it just... Just epic storytelling that, that that's whimsical and fun that, that just sums up Tim Burton so well. Um, but there is a great horror scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, Yeah. With large wow. Marge, that scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that scared the shit out of many a kid. That <laughs> still doesn't scare you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it still catches me off guard. There's always that scene where uh, the doctors are working on his bike and they pull it down, and it's the the grinning John Wayne Gacy style clown mouth <laughs> on the doctor. Like there is some dark moments in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It flirts with it for sure. <laughs> in, in, yeah. It, it just always the, the large Marge scene always like equates for me the uh, the, the scene in um, 
Twilight Zone, where you want to see something scary. The Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, yeah. They're similar, and they're about, you know, close time frame is, as well. Is there a scene like that in Pee-wee? Or am I, is that something else I'm thinking of? What What's do you mean? That? Does he not hitchhike and somebody says that? No? Well, Large Marge. Well, there's Large Marge, <laughs> but I feel like there was actually kind of where they make fun of Twilight. Mm, I don't know. I know Elvira, his good friend. Maybe I'm Herbie, thinking it. Except the hitchhiker. Well, I know Elvira, because uh, uh, I never realized either that, and I can't think of his name, but uh, the guy that plays Jombie, who is the gas John, station attendant. John Paragon. Yeah, so I didn't realize how connected he is between uh, Paul Rubens and um, Cassandra Peterson. So they were, all, they were all part of the Groundlings together. And, fun side fact, not that this is a Pee-wee Herman podcast, but <laughs> Pee-wee and Elvira are two of the only characters, or two of... Two of the only, they're not the only ones, but they're like two of the only big characters from that era that retain the rights to their character. Mm-hmm. And that's why they've had the staying power and, and, and have been able to, to always be that. And there hasn't been 10 different Elviras or Peewees. You know what? I, I'm going to get bold here and I'm going to say, fuck it. Let's just do a Peewee podcast right now. <laughs> you know what? Pull those notes out. I'm with that. <laughs> I'm actually, I, let's just change the whole podcast, period. I'm done with horror. Oh, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Tune in each week. We will do a Pee Wee episode per episode. Now, Pee Wee, uh, that movie was a huge deal to me as well. And I agree with what you guys are saying. It was a perfect marriage for Burton and him um, because they really tap into a playfulness that's childlike, but that it's not so childlike that it's tough to watch now. It's aged incredibly well. It, I enjoy that as an adult just as much as I did as a kid. Um, Absolutely. In many yeah. ways. For the same reasons, and that's usually not the case. A lot of times, nostalgia drives it, but it's just um, talent is all it is. That the talent lives on within that movie, and the the large Marge scene is great, and I think it really lays the groundwork for uh, what they would really lean heavily into in, in Beetlejuice in the next movie. Oh yeah, a lot of the same kind of animation style there. Uh, anybody have anything more to say about? Pee-wee before I step back to Frankenweenie real quick. I, I was just I gonna go say, forever. I was gonna say it was probably maybe the sequel to Pee-wee that I started realizing that because I, I like the sequel, Big Top. Um and the TV show had its own little flavor too. I noticed it hanging above you. Um <laughs> but yeah, definitely when you watch Big Top Pee-wee, you, there's a different style to the movie. And I think yes. that's probably when yes. I realized uh because it's still both movies are largely Paul Rubin, but mm-hmm. um but you know you don't have the the Burton influence on the the other film. Yeah, and Hot um, Toddy and I did visit Pee Wee's house in Pasadena, and uh, it doesn't look as cool as it used to. Just for the record, <laughs> <laughs> it's still cool to go there. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, there's a uh, Paul Rubens and Burton were a perfect marriage. So yeah. that's probably all I have. To, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, has anybody seen the original Frank and Weenie? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, I wouldn't have seen it, but someone showed it to us in elementary school. Like they, we, I don't know what we were doing, but it was around Halloween time, and we watched Frankenweenie. And I remember being like, "It's kind of heavy for a kid movie about a doll Frankenstein." Because <laughs> he like, goes to a burning bur- building at the end, doesn't he? I believe that uh, Shelley Duvall is who told Paul Rubens about this guy. Uh, okay. Yeah, he was friends with her, and she was the one who gave told him who Tim Burton was, and he looked into it. Yeah, I think I've heard that as well. Wasn't that probably would have been the same time period too that she was doing the um, uh, Shelley Duvall's Tall Tales, which had oh yeah, 
which was kind of a cool show. And I feel like every week there was at least somebody pretty decent on. Um, so people probably don't think about her much for, uh, but like not only did it kind of still keep its foot in the, the genre, but um, the different actors and stuff she probably worked with on the show. Okay. I just want to say about Frank and Winnie, just acknowledge, see if anybody had seen it. So, yep. All right. So, uh, moving along a few years, uh, 1988 Beetlejuice. Um, I don't think it was until Wes Craven died that I, Wes Craven was going to do Beetlejuice. And I honestly still cannot imagine Beetlejuice being done by anybody but Tim Burton, because that is, that is definitely, I just can't imagine Tim Burton, not like his style. I don't think, anybody else could have done it and they probably could have and it would have been drop dead fred which is still a movie i like but i to me beetlejuice is like the encapsulation of what a tim burton film is and yeah. and i was i, I was think that to, is a prime example did because that because it also added that other element too besides a lot of the same actors that he uses is um danny elfman did danny elfman do the music to peewee does anybody know did he not, so yeah, well, professor says yes, and he is a professor, so he I'm, is a <laughs> legal professor. Yes. <laughs> so he calls himself a doctor, but you know he's only got a PhD. <laughs> uh, I the, old, the one thing to this day that bothers me about Beetlejuice. One thing. Why did they say fuck in a movie yeah. that is otherwise <laughs> aimed at? Kids, because it's the 1980s. I, I, Father, I still fatherhood has made you a prude, Vincent. <laughs> is that what it is? Adventures in babysitting. She says, "Don't fuck with the babysitter." She does. She does. And have you watched Danny? They cuss like sailors and cut people. Well, maybe they don't they cut weren't. people, but Beetlejuice was a PG. Was it PG thirteen? I guess it must have had to have been if they could say. I feel like it once. Did it? I feel like it almost got away with PG though, which is weird. <laughs> Because other other than that, it feels like a PG movie, but that always catches me <laughs> off guard. I mean, granted, they do have a whorehouse miniature <laughs> on the set, and he's trying imagine? to fuck a he's trying to marry and fuck a minor, and he does and grab his wiener and it honks. <laughs> you know, that's what makes it comedy. It was uh, uh, PG. Wow, uh, I can you imagine anybody other than Michael Keaton working on that? As Beetlejuice. It's just a crazy to me. V. Neal did great makeup on that movie. I don't think she gets enough credit for that. I'll tell you another mind-blowing thing that's weird is I didn't realize that that was Alec Baldwin. Uh, and Because it just... Like you my, thought I it was one my, of his six brothers? I told my mom like a year ago that that was who that was and she was just like, that fat guy is Alec Baldwin? <laughs> and she had no idea that he was in Beetlejuice. Because to her, my mom just thinks that Alec Baldwin now is like of him now. Yeah. Beetlejuice, and again, Mary, it had that it had that Tim Burton style. It had those, what we would come to know, those the black and white stripes. Mm -hmm. Like just all of these things that are going to start to become trademarks of Tim Burton as time goes on. You'll see it more and more and more and more, which is just kind of a staple. Beetlejuice was a good mix. Number one, it was a great cast. You had Catherine O'Hara. You, you know, had a fantastic cast on this movie. It it was able to mix the macabre with humor perfectly, and then you even get into some goofy shit where you and another Tim Burton thing where you mix in stop motion animation 
just like he did in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I don't know. There's something very magical about Beetlejuice, and it has absolutely withstood the test of time. And that's the thing, too. Like, I think the last time I watched it, I was like, man, could you imagine standing in a studio and trying to pitch this movie now? <laughs> like, and, you know, and like, it's an icon. Like, everyone knows Beetlejuice, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, it was really groundbreaking for something as weird and indescribable as it is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, and so, you, you take such dark subject matter. And somehow are able to make it a family film. Yeah, because I mean, you wow. the the people you encounter, like the dead folks that are at like you know the office where they're trying to air their grievances and get things answered and, and get their death benefits or whatever. But like, there's some like there's some funny stories, but there's some really dark ones too. Like people not knowing they're dead and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, also, can you? I'm sure the main thing that they sold it on was that there's a young girl Lydia, who's a who's a child. But she's um she's just so uh depressed. So depressed that she's now wanting to kill herself. And it's a comedy. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Did we mention the miniature whorehouse? <laughs> <laughs> well, he even uh I was gonna say I keep thinking too where he has the uh, the stick. I'm gonna pause. I wanna say I'm sorry, I meant to say sex workers. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> Do we not call them that anymore? No. Uh, I was gonna say I keep thinking you keep saying that I keep thinking where he's holding the the twig lifting Gina Davis's dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think too. I think that's uh, something that Burton catches on to is one again he uses a lot of the same actors, so uh, like Catherine O'Hara definitely becomes a staple. Uh, but there's a lot of a lot of actors I don't think would be working in a lot of films if it weren't for Tim Burton, and I can't think of the guy's name, which makes me feel bad. But the guy that plays uh, Otho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm sure he wasn't getting lined up for parts until Beetlejuice, until you know he passed away, because like he fit right into Heather's, which is I feel like uh, after Beetlejuice came out, even though different subject matter, there was a lot of Tim Burton style <laughs> movies that made it, like Heather's and Glenn, uh, Glenn Shaddix. Yeah, yeah. It's also in um, Sleepwalker. Which uh, most people probably don't know, Catherine O'Hara isn't anything other than Beetlejuice because I think she's kind of under the radar. Uh, yeah. I had somebody tell me at work uh, they were mind blown because they didn't realize that she's the mom from Schitt's Creek. And I'm like, okay, well. <clears throat> uh, I'll also <laughs> say that the guy who played Otho, Glenn Shaddix, also plays that same character in Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the finest films ever made. Uh, did a robot just chime in all of a sudden? <laughs> did it make a weird sound? No, sound like one of you guys. Sound like one of you guys transformed into a car. <laughs> Beetlejuice was. Please sit on my knees. Beetlejuice was one of the first movies that I considered uh, part of my identity. I was obsessed mm. with Beetlejuice. Now, there's an argument to be made for numerous films that we'll discuss as being his best. But I think this is, as Vinny said, the most perfect example of Burton. It is everything he is good at accelerated. And I, I think that all of what we're, we're mentioning ties together in that, in the sense of if, if it wasn't him, this wouldn't have worked. It would have been too dark, but not playful enough. Um, it, it just his use of extremely grim humor 
mixed with special effects, but playfulness. Nobody else could have pulled this off. And I mean, we can talk till we're blue in the face about who was going to direct it or who was going to star in it. Um, it's impossible to imagine just because this is him. And I, you know, up until like Home Alone and Ace Ventura came out years later, this was easily the movie I watched the most. I watched it all the time. Um, and it's just everything in it fires. And I just rewatched this. Uh, at the beginning of December, I had the week off uh, around my birthday. And I, a lot of times I just like to revisit favorites um, around that time. And I popped that on before we'd even, I think, decided on doing this episode. And uh, it's just, it's so damn good. It, it just, it holds up so well. And when Batman, which I think is the next one, came out, that's when I started to understand who the director was at that age. Because I was like, wait a minute, you mean yeah, to tell me I agree. the guy that did Batman also did Beetlejuice and Pee-wee's? <laughs> Who the hell is this? I I think, too, it's that other than, um, I'm not sure when the cartoon came out, but um, I remember the cartoon being pretty strong, too. And, uh, and there was actually, a, especially for, there wasn't a lot of marketing to anything related to horror type stuff. Do you mean the Beetlejuice cartoon? The, yeah. Uh, okay. So there so there, there I feel was like a, there was a lot of years between the movie and that cartoon. But but I don't know if that's know, true, but it feels you like know because because they definitely did a lot of stuff with the toys uh, for the cartoon, but they also had toys for the movie. They which did. Which is funny because yeah. that's how it's actually how Tim Burton loses Batman three because they wanted to sell more toys, but yet Beetlejuice, which is a kids movie that says fuck, is <laughs> yeah. selling toys. Um, it's also strange too that, uh, and it's weird for me to say. I, I've really thought, who else could play Beetlejuice? Because um, Beetlejuice two was a go, probably after like the second Batman movie, and he did Mars Attacks instead. Um, and I know they keep trying to work on it now, and I think that it's such a good movie that none of them want to do it without the other. So I, I think my, don't don't molest the original. And I think that's why. I think that's why. People are, I would love to see one, but I think the reason people are okay that it's not going anywhere because Michael Keaton will do it if Tim Burton will do it. And then I don't think they, because honestly, the, the sequel is Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. I think <laughs> I don't we saw Jack Frost try that. Just like the Christmas Vacation sequel. I know what and you did last summer. <laughs> so, um... I think there's a reason we haven't seen anything other than uh, a Broadway play, which I would like to actually see because it seems kind of cool. So um, who knows? I definitely think that uh, I agree with what Vinny said earlier, though, because this to me just uh, I think Pee Wee, he might have been it's he's still all over that movie. But I think Beetlejuice, they were like probably didn't even understand what Beetlejuice was. It was like. Just let this guy go fucking make this movie. It's gonna Beetlejuice was macabre, which <laughs> Pee Wee wasn't. Pee Wee still had a lighter side to it. Yeah. Beetlejuice was macabre, and I think he really got to cut loose with that. Oh yeah. And that really really show his colors to everybody. And, and even um like Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin, I don't I don't think they were really like I think Gina Davis had the fly previously. They really hadn't I feel like Beetlejuice made everybody Catherine O'Hare, like everybody knew who they were after this movie. So, and I'm sure it was like really, it's weird, weird they greenlit it to begin with, but I'm sure this was just the movie that Warner Brothers was like, ah, fuck it, we'll gamble on it, and it's it's not going to make anything, but here you go. So, on that note, two things. 
the cartoon was just a year after the movie, surprisingly. Okay. Uh, And to think about how this released, the movie that they've just stopped, you know, they were just going to push out, 15 million to make made 75 million. Or, I mean, grossed 75 million, so they made. And I, yeah. you know, it's shitload of money. Well, because uh, and you know, we'll roll into Batman in a second too. But it, I think it, I don't know if it's because we were kids, but it feels one Beetlejuice played forever, and I know movies played longer back then, anyways. And it took like a year to come on VHS, and but I feel like there's a huge gap than one year between Beetlejuice and Batman, and and same thing with the cartoon. Like it feels like more time passed than uh than what actually did. So. I just I want to point out any movie that can involve ghost dancing to Harry <laughs> Belafonte songs as well as possession earlier in the film. That's a un- that's a unique movie, and it's you even yeah. got Sylvia Sidney in there who dates back to pre-code films in the '30s as the football coach. Um, it's just it's a wildly original movie. Yeah. Okay. Are we done with the show now? Yep, that's yep. it. That's all we got time for, folks. So right. Tune in next week for Timber Part Two. <laughs> uh, so uh, next is a little movie called Batman. Um, what you guys? I, I just keep thinking because Burton being thrown onto these things. Because uh, honestly, and I know that Batman's been remade a bunch now in different styles, but I think if anybody other than Tim Burton did not do the Batman that he did comic book movies probably wouldn't have took off like they did because he, again, I know Bill Murray was the original choice. Maybe they kept throwing around and I think they were going more for the 60s style and he still kind of touched on the 60s style, but because it was Burton, it was darker than it probably would have been. Um, It probably would have been kind of like one of the Superman sequels, like kind of watered down and lame. Um, I think because Burton got in it, he kept it dark and it's the dark night. So it fit right in. Um, my only thing with uh, the Batman series is they should have let him keep going. So, and that's the thing I think Vinny could speak to more. Um, I'm a big Batman fan, but I don't think was this before Frank Miller stuff on paper. Uh, Frank Miller would have been around '86. Okay, so so it probably had some influence on this. Yeah. For me, I, I obviously I grew up a comic book nerd. My dad has been a collector since he was a kid and continues to collect to this day, though he was mostly Marvel. So my knowledge as a younger kid was mostly Marvel stuff. Uh, Marvel had no presence in the theater up to this point. Uh, Warner Brothers had hit big with the Superman movies, and that is that was what your superhero movies were at, at, if you were a child of the 80s. It was the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. I remember, and again, like I say, I wasn't much of a DC Comics reader, but I remember this movie coming out, and of course my dad taking us to see it, and absolutely blowing my mind. Oh yeah. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. it I had never I'd never seen anything like it. And then and from that moment in my life, everything was Batman. Yeah, and I was probably ten or eleven when this came out. Everything Same. was Batman for me, Same and here. Jack Nicholson's Joker was absolutely incredible. Like I got to see comic books on the big screen, but it wasn't goofy. 
It was so stylized and like it was a world completely of its own. Gotham City wasn't New York. It wasn't Cleveland. It was a whole thing of its own and this gothic design and just the the black Batman suit. And it wasn't what I had been exposed to on Super Friends. It wasn't what I'd been exposed to with the 60s Batman series. However, after this came out, I remember local TV stations started running the Bat- 60s Batman TV series oh, again, awesome. and it got huge ratings. I watched it every week. I was, you know, had Batman toys. Just Tim Burton's take on Batman was groundbreaking. Adam West was furious. Number one, Adam West was offended that they didn't ask him to come back, which, <laughs> get fucked. How old was he at that time? I mean, come on. And he actually went around in costume protesting the dark nature of the movie. True story. Soft baby. I did not know that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, True story. Yeah, uh, I remember I, uh, going to see this opening weekend with my dad, and it just it rocked my world. I remember world life changing. Yeah, I, I I remember getting the VHS of it which we didn't have a lot of commercial VHSs at that point. I don't know if that one was made widely affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's around that time when you started to be able to buy them a little bit more accessibly. But, yeah, it's I, I looking at it now as an adult, I think it's interesting to realize that, again, this is perfectly suited for him. And you look at those first two movies and you wouldn't think, this is a guy who needs to make Batman because of what we know no. as comic book movies now. But I agree. I think a large part of why we have that whole industry is because of his imagination that was applied to this. I mean, he was perfectly set up to bring the childlike wonder to it, but also still the 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 top shelf skill set for the filmmaking that he does. And that's why, again, these first three movies have all aged incredibly well. You can watch them now and they play just as great. Uh, I was the same boat. I I remember though it took me. Maybe it wasn't as long in my as I it felt. It might have took two or three weeks before I could actually go see the movie, because every time we would go, it was sold out. Um, this also too. I mean, I, this really sounds weird, but like now a movie like Batman's on ten screens, but man, back in the day, it was on one screen, and there were some movies you just didn't get to see when you went to went to go, or you had to stand in a long line to get in. Uh, that really makes me feel old saying that because it's like when I was a kid. Um, I think um, I was a huge Superman fan, and I love comic books, but I was a DC kid. Um, so I love Batman already, but man, when this movie came out, I again, I, I my room was horror and Batman. I remember, it had like the buttons that were like the size of your head, uh, mm-hmm. keychains. I like uh, I wasn't familiar with the TV show Trading and cards. And because the TV show started playing, I watched it like it was a brand new show. Um, yeah, like it just like Batman went everywhere. And again, when you think about it, like him probably even trying to sell the movies, like we're going to have a uh, Batman, but Prince is going to do the soundtrack. That's what I was about to say. And, which is weird in itself. Prince There's not a lot of soundtrack, not a lot of artists that do the whole soundtrack to one movie. Um, and he still has everything that's Tim Burton. Um, and he did. Nobody probably thinks of this. He did more so of like what Marvel does now than anybody else because he had like Billy D. Williams playing Harvey Dent, who was supposed to become Two Face in the third yeah. movie, which Two Face is in the third movie. He just his skin color changes. 
<laughs> but, you know, like, again, the fact that he's set up to be a good guy and a smaller character that eventually is in the third movie will be a villain. Um, you know, the uh, movies weren't really known for doing that. Um, typically, you didn't show up unless you were cast and paid to be in the movie. Um, there's a lot of, uh, again, as, as much as I love Michael Keaton um, and Jack Nicholson, there's a lot of great players like Jack Palance was awesome in that movie. Um, I don't think I really knew who Jack Palance was until I saw Batman, and it made me, like, uh, I remember rushing to see City Slickers just because of how much I love Batman. People actually, threw a fit when it was came out that Michael Keaton was going to be playing Batman. People threw a fit. Like, you mean to tell me Mr. Mom is playing Batman? Yes. Well, and then, what, But look how well that worked out. They complain to every movie about the casting choice, cause it's, which is funny because usually... Not every time, but typically they're they're usually on the money. And again, Michael Keaton, I love Bill Murray, but Bill Murray would have de- it would have been more '60s Batman. That would have been a whole different movie. Michael Keaton is so perfect for Tim Burton because he's funny, but he still has that like crazy uh, little dark side to him too. And he was perfect yes, for it. Yes, absolutely, and that is the key with with Michael Keaton and why I think he was able to make it work because he's likable and he's quippy. But it's very believable that something is kind of off about him, too, and a little bit dangerous. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like, again, like Batman, I ate it up. I remember uh, that it came out in November. Sorry, that, I'm that nerdy. So it, it came out faster than most movies. Uh, it came out in November, and it was sell-through because it had done so much money. So it wasn't a $100 VHS. It was affordable. And this is how cool it was. Is I had already went out and bought that movie the day it came out because it's twenty bucks. And uh, my aunt knew how much I love Batman and bought me Batman. And I was still so excited because I knew that I could go take that back to Kmart and trade it in because they had just put out the Batman uh, '60s movie. So I was just as excited because I got both Batman movies uh, basically for the price of one. So. And I never told her that I had to exchange it. I just told her thank you and that I went out and bought the old one. <laughs> uh, also, again, like uh, I remember a lot of cool toys. And I I don't think they partnered as much with fast food. I feel like Taco Bell had cups because I was so nerdy on movies. I collected a lot of cups and shit. I want to say that you might be right about that. I can't remember for certain, though. I can't remember who did the first movie, but I think definitely by the second one, McDonald's picked it up. Well, it is. It is, and that will play into the story of director's That's that's part two, then. Then part one, Taco Bell did it, and they had like collector cups, which was just cheap plastic, and I wish that I had now that I think of it. Um, But yeah. I remember the part two cups at McDonald's had Frisbees as lids. Where was I for that? (laughs) Um, that. Yeah, I can't say anything that you guys haven't already said at length. Um, I, too, was a Marvel kid, but when Batman came out, that fucking changed everything. It was just like everyone was Batman nuts, and I was right there. I was for it. Like I said, the giant buttons, T-shirts, keychains. Did you have the Batman fade in your hair? I tried. I think I'm going to bring that back. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember having a little die-cast Batmobile. They did a lot of Batmobile toys because that new Batmobile was so badass. Yes, it was. Um, And then they just kept building on that through the franchise. But, uh, yeah, that I mean, it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen, right? I mean, again, I'm not saying anything you guys haven't already said. So it it was like, wow, Tim Burton. Um, 
before we move on to the next, did everybody in here watch the animated series back then? Oh, I own it. Yeah. I, I never I finished that. it, but I did just buy the the complete. So I'm kind of excited to, to watch. Uh, I think I was really into it the first two seasons. And then I hit that age of being a teen where I hate, I just didn't watch anything. So kind of excited. That's, to finish it. And that that's another gift that I think we can thank Tim Burton for, because without the success of that, we never would have gotten that Batman, the animated series with Kevin yep. Conroy as Batman. And those were absolutely beautiful. The, 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 that whole series is a, is a work of art. I was going to say, even the movies they did, the movies they did for that, those are awesome too. Like yes, they did. They uh, are. Even the, even the straight to video ones were, were awesome. Yes, they were. All so right. What's next, Adi? So, one year later, 1990, Edward Scissorhands, which uh, marks the relationship of Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Um, actually just rewatched this because uh, it's been a few years. But um, I always, somebody asked, they're like, that's not a Christmas movie. I feel that it kind of is, especially with all the stuff with the snow. And honestly, I don't know if it was just the right time to watch it and, and just some stuff going on. Um, so it kind of made me think of, uh, like, uh, again, my mom, I, I mentioned it a ton of times. My dad loves horror movies. My mom does not. So I think that's what I liked about Tim Burton is I felt like I could kind of bridge a little bit where, uh, you know, if these movies were scary, there, there's no way my mom would watch it. But um, I remember watching Edward Scissorhands with her. And so I don't know if it's just my mom had been in the hospital, like, that whole week. And I watched it during the, the week that she was in there. And I'm not going to lie, I cried through the movie and I'm like, I kind of forgot how, um, cause it's something that that's another element of Tim Burton is, um, he looks at this dark stuff. Like people are terrified of somebody cause he has scissor hands when he's actually like to the heart of this town and this most gentle, uh, person, but the stuff that he filmed with him and Vincent price. Um, and then this was, this was one of Vincent's last movies, right? I believe this was his last and, feature and, film. And again, Tim Burton, I, like I know Tim Burton loved Vincent Price. Um, but just the, the Danny Elfman score and, um, you know, you know, I forgot that Winona Ryder starts out where she's an older woman telling the story to her grandkid. And then she's talking about, you know, the reason well, she that knows Titanic that. stole this. Yes, they me. did. Yeah. Um, but the, she knows that uh, he's still up there because um, it never snowed before and now it snows. So that one really got me. So. Um, again, I always loved, uh, loved it originally, but I don't know. I, Edward Scissorhands still, uh, still up there. It's weird. Cause I keep I, every movie. I'm like, Oh, that's one of my favorites, but I don't know. Again, like at this point, I'm like Tim Burton could not do wrong to me at this point. So Grizz, once you, uh, once you take an early stab at this, <laughs> <laughs> thanks professor. I will. Um, since you bored. Some- I meant to rewatch it before this episode, but I didn't get around to it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, oh wow! Shit! And I, well, I apologize for putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I was actually I was I was going to jump in and say that so that I could get that out of the way, and you guys could could uh, have at it. So uh, thanks for putting him on the spot for me. That's good. Yeah, I need to I need to rewatch it. <laughs> um, I think it's it's interesting if you, if you kind of take a step back from these movies and look at it at least thus far that. Burton continues to examine the outsider and uh, people who are different from, you know, the worlds that they are placed in. And so I think uh, largely this has a lot of him in it 
because I know that he modeled it around Burbank where he grew up. And so you completely put this in the light of day in a very pastel uh, community in these suburbs there. But at the core, it's still about looking at somebody's experience that's different. And so, you know, obviously we've went more comedic with Pee Wee and Beetlejuice and all these. But at the core, it's still, you know, being different, unique. And so I think that this. Uh, tackles that from a much more poignant and sweet way. And um, again, like the films we've already discussed, I think it's aged well. I actually, I rewatched this one within the last week. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of movies for this, but I did get that one in because I hadn't seen it in a number of years. And it's good. Um, And it's interesting to see Vincent Price in there at, uh, you know, towards the end for him. But it is, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's a good movie. This movie for me, I really enjoy this movie. I agree with Todd. I think it's a it fits very well for a winter seasonal watch. I, of course, love Vincent Price. Uh, I was named after Vincent Price, so I always enjoy his films. And this in. one being this, what's that? that rub it in. <laughs> this one being his final film always holds a special place for me. And also because I think Tim Burton was very sweet and respectful to Vincent Price with this film. I think it's a great way to cap off an extraordinary career. Um, I do remember at one watching it with my parents and, you know, I was, I was raised in a very puritanical Protestant home and being a bit weirded <laughs> out during the scene where the lady's trying to get Edward Dunn zipper blouse. That was a little weird for me. <laughs> as a kid but i think that this tim burton does a wonderful job with this with creating a new fairy tale creating this magic this story this folklore of this character i think he does a fantastic job with it it's it is a very sweet film uh a lot of genuine emotion in this movie and i showed it to my son when he might have been a little too young for it and the end wrecked him like when edward accidentally stabs old boy in the gut like that fucked with my kid like the whole thing he didn't he didn't care for the ending <laughs> at all so he to this day he will not watch it again uh, but i for one really like it and and of course i i think i have to mention how good johnny depp was in this movie johnny depp did a fantastic job but you know once again he's Tim Burton showed that he is how capable he is of bringing to life the oddest of characters, but yeah. having them live and breathe and somehow you connect with them. Yeah, because you don't sit and focus on how ridiculous no. this character is with huge scissor hands. It, within five minutes, you're past that. It, it's, yeah, you know, it's yeah, there all is a part question of, the of why would you think to put scissors for hands to begin with? <laughs> While you're trying to perfect the regular hands, I don't know that I would ever go with scissors, but it, it, it's pretty amazing. It, it, the whole movie itself is pretty amazing, and I I would dare somebody to find something comparable to this. It is so original. Mm-hmm. There, there was Ed, Edward Penis Hands that followed. I saw that, and you know what was disappointing <laughs> with Edward Penis Hands when I watched it? 
I fully expected like five wieners on each hand, but instead it was just each hand was a big one. So <laughs> I like that that's off. your I like that that's your disappointment. Uh, I had a whole different thing pictured when I hear Edward. He should have had multiple. Yeah. You're welcome, guys. Uh, I, I was gonna, the only other thing I could think of was that this is uh, because Vincent Price was in this. This is where my mom shared that she had uh, saw uh, House on Haunted Hill in the theater as a kid. And this is probably why she hates horror films. But that movie scared her so bad where the skeleton comes out. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like I've asked her and I don't think she remembers. I asked her if she was in a theater where they actually took the skeleton across. Mm. But she was like, I don't know. She was checked out at that point. It scared the shit out of her. I was really hoping you were going to tell me that she was going to tell you that she had had an affair with Vincent. Ah, you took my joke. (laughs) We don't talk about the only thing I had to contribute during this time (laughs) frame. Thanks, Benny. Welcome. Uh, So, uh, moving on. So, uh. Uh, all, all I can think of, because the way he's turning movies out was, again, I, I, I don't know how much they got into the Beetlejuice movie, but uh, a couple of years later, before the next film, so uh, 1992, Batman Returns, um, <laughs> I, I kind of want to watch this for the show, too. I don't think of this as a Christmas movie, but it's definitely a winter movie, and it's perfect time to watch it. Listen, if, if motherfuckers are going to argue that Die Hard <laughs> is a Christmas movie, Batman Returns is 100%. Don't the penguins have gifts and stuff like bombs? Yeah, it takes place at Christmas. Oh, it's it's Christmas time. There's tons of Christmas in it. This was as weird as it. Like I'll complain sometimes where they will bring a Christmas movie out in the middle of summer or whatever. But uh, I remember going to see this movie so many times just because we didn't have air conditioning, and I remember that you would actually be cold when you would go see this movie because it's just everything you're seeing on screens in the winter and on ice. So uh, what a cool movie to go see in the summer. Also, uh, probably the dumbest uh, marketing for a movie, but but genius at the same time because it was just the cat, the pat, the cat, the bat, and the bing, penguin came and talked. Um, and then the story you shared with Adam West to me, the story I know is with this movie where um, Sean Young took her crazy ass to all these things and followed Tim Burton around dressed up as Catwoman, trying. <laughs> to insist that she was going to be Catwoman to where uh, I feel like you probably actually put like a restraining order against her, but um, and that's why she ended up being Ray Finkel <laughs> history. Um, I do know that Annette Benning was actually cast as Catwoman and then she got pregnant. And I think that, I don't know if they actually started filming. And then I think that's where Sean Young went kind of cuckoo, but I can't think of a better choice than Michelle Pfeiffer, to be honest. Michelle so much so, Pfeiffer? Uh, yeah. Did you, uh, did anybody watch Gotham? You're, you're, you're probably more familiar with her brother, Paul Pfeiffer, from the Wonder Years. Who, I, who, all, who went on to become Marilyn Manson. Uh, I know her other brother, Mackay. Yes. <laughs> uh, did anybody watch Gotham while it was on? I, uh, for uh, two seasons, and then I gave up when it became Lil Gotham. I think it was an awesome show. I was, the, the girl that got to play, um, Selena Kyle, looks like Michelle Pfeiffer, and I thought that was I perfect. I, the, the only thing I liked about I liked the idea of that show when it first started. Now, I'm not going to get into this. This is going off on a completely different tangent. I'll stick with <laughs> Batman Returns. Let's talk about Returns. Batman and Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Batman Returns, So uh, if, you don't, I, if you don't mind. Unless um, you had something else to add. 
No, I was just saying that the little girl looked like Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. I thought that was genius. Oh, do you want to do you want to talk since you haven't watched the last few movies? Uh, yeah, go for it. Grizz, have you ever seen this one? Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of it. What? Who? Who's Batman? <laughs> uh, your uh, thoughts on Pfeiffer? Oh, I remember as a young man becoming very interested in who Michelle Pfeiffer was because was it the canary scene? Yeah. Um. This is just an interesting film because it's like, I remember as a kid going nuts for it just because it was another Batman movie, but this is not on par with the first Batman movie. It's not. It's its own thing, and I think it's it's a fun rewatch just because it is so freaking weird. But it like, is weird. It's out there, man. And so, uh, yeah, I just remember, you know, this was still had all the steam of the first Batman movie behind it. So, like... All the merch, all the toys, all the, you know, uh, was this when we got the Batmobile, like the, the missile, like it shot out? Of where, the it, where it busts the two sides off of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember McDonald's made that as a Happy Meal toy. You could push the button and it'd shoot out. Um, I remember I had I had the figures of the penguins with the missiles on their back. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a like, two-pack, yeah. Those. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is just a really weird... Oddly bad, but still entertaining movie, in my opinion. I don't think it's as good as the first one, but I I wouldn't say I would still say it's a good movie. It's one of his more stylized films. I like Absolutely. the setting, um, and I like that we didn't keep going back to the well of trying to go crazy with backstory. That we already had that established with the first film, and so with this, we jump in, and we not only have. Uh, you know, a continuation of the things we like about it, but we bring in more villains and we try and make them even more outlandish as a sequel should. So um, it it doesn't have the same magic as the first film, but I do think that it's still a pretty impressive follow-up. So I I was going to say, I agree with the, the magic part, but I love this movie, but yeah, it does not have the same magic. But uh, also, Paul Rubens, Christopher Walken, uh, you still get a lot of the... the I just feel like he's like... He, he got to do what he wanted kind of on Batman and Beetlejuice, but now he has a shit ton of money to do it. The and Penguin's like, mother is also Simone from uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the waitress ooh. from the truck stop. I did not know that. Yeah, if you go back and watch, pay attention. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was too busy looking at Michelle Pfeiffer. I, <laughs> That's a damn lie. Batman, <laughs> Batman Returns, like we've said, it was a lesser sequel. It did not have the same you got rid of impact them? as the first Who one. Who would get it, rid of those toys? Would you please pay attention to this? Uh, show me penguins with missiles on them. I did like, it, I agree with the professor, it was almost even more stylized with that Tim Burton imprint because you had the circus performers, so you had a lot more of those black and white stripes, and which... I'm a I'm a circus guy, you know. I that's a a fun thing for me, and I especially like when you take a dark carnival approach to things. Now, whoop, whoop. I I did like his take on the penguin, but here is where Tim Burton fucked the franchise. Okay, this is why we ended up with the bullshit that we got afterwards, because they had an agreement with McDonald's to do the merchandise. And if you will notice, 
the penguin does not look like the penguin in the movie on the McDonald's merchandise. The McDonald's and even the toys, they look like the old comic book penguin. And it was because you're supposed to be making this movie where you've got McDonald's lined up to do Happy Meal toys, and you have this monster with flipper hands. <laughs> Grotesque. That's drooling black shit out of his mouth all the time, who is oversexed and massaging women's boobs as he puts on his uh, his uh, campaign buttons. He's constantly making crude remarks to Cat Catwoman. You You've got like Catwoman who is completely oversexed. But here's a, that's all fine and good. But when you have a license with McDonald's. So McDonald's wouldn't do this monster version of the penguin. So they did their this other version. So basically Warner Brothers at the end of the day, they needed something that they could merchandise and market more. So they told Tim Burton basically, you gotta hit the bricks if you're not gonna make this kind of movie. And then Michael Keaton said, Well, I'm not doing Batman anymore if Tim Burton's not involved. And then we have this Joel Schumacher downslide that follows. But that's why. Because Tim Burton was given a lot of license. <laughs> And at the end of the day, it was not what was good for business. I, I love this movie, but yeah, what you just said makes me sad because the um, was it Batman? Batman Continuum was his third movie, where again Billy D. Williams was going to be Two Face, Rob Williams was going to be the Riddler. Um, I don't know. I'm almost sad that movie never got made, especially after the where Batman went. So he got um, Benny so hot he left. Yeah, he's so pissed. Well, he's talking about how oversexed the penguin and Catwoman is, and now he's leaving. <laughs> yeah, At least he yeah. left the room, unlike Tubin. <laughs> Which uh, I'm yeah. sad he left because I was wondering if there's a deleted scene where maybe Baby shows up uh, with all the circus folk. So <laughs> maybe, yeah, I uh, think the... it's an interesting <laughs> collision with uh, kind of marketing and big money Pumpkin that was inevitable with him. For as uh, as much of a creative as he is. The success is is kind of rare for somebody like him and the movies that he's making. He was just at the right place at the right time. The 80s were just weird enough to facilitate this. And so I think that this was inevitable. And I think this is our turning point for his filmography in the sense of this is where he'll still continue to be successful and make big movies, but not in the level that he had quickly risen to because it's important to remember this movie came out in what 92 we said mm -hmm. so everything that we've discussed so far is in the span of seven years that is a massive start for a young filmmaker and so i do think it's important to point out that it wasn't just that this shifted the batman franchise this shifted his career uh, because his relationship with studios and what would be approved and granted to him and the things that he would end up being green, greenlit to make, uh, he wasn't going to continue to carry the clout that he had quickly achieved. And I think that's why there's so much magic in those early films, because he hadn't had to have that departure yet. Fun times. I, uh, while you were gone, Vinny, I asked if there was a deleted scene, uh, maybe where Pumpkin gets a little too fresh, or uh, the Penguin gets a little too much with Pumpkin. In the circus, uh, no. your, your character, Pumpkin. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Which he, he initially called Baby while you were away because he just. Uh, I did not get. I did not get. Things. I did not get flippered. A la freak show. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the horror story. 
Well, <laughs> I mean, you got a sword, so. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking Rob Zombie did that one for some reason. Do you never, uh, <laughs> Sherry Moon's never played your character? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. All right, what's that? Just picture that. <laughs> uh, so uh, a couple years off. Um, again, as much as I, I was disappointed, I was ready for another Batman. I kind of like that he, uh, what Wilson just said, where he probably didn't have the clout, so he probably was like, how can I make a movie I want with like very little money? And So we get 1994's Ed Wood. Um, I don't think I cared too much for this movie when it came out because I could have cared less, but I love this movie now. I watch it all the time. Um, I still enjoyed it when it, I, I might have watched it as it came on video, but I can't even say that I would rush out. Uh, you told me a movie's in black and white. That's new. I wouldn't have rushed out and saw it to begin with. Um, so, also, I wasn't... Uh, yeah, what other movies have done that? It's like this and Schindler's List. <laughs> Which one's more uh, feel-good? <laughs> Ask Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, you guys are going to hate me, but I've never seen this one. <laughs> but what yeah, I understand. The fuck? I, I just saw Plan 9 when we covered it last year. So I, I just now saw Playing Nine for the first time. How so. many times have you seen Missing in Action? <laughs> <laughs> slow on my list. I'm not a yeah yeah. So I'm that's slow on my list. Six times, but <laughs> you've seen it. <laughs> I think I own one, two, three. Yeah. So uh, with Ed Wood, um, it's it's interesting that we start to get into him covering real people and real stories because we we realize how quirky his craft is and so with ed wood you're not going to see many things like it because these are real people but why it, why it works for me is because at this point ed wood had become a joke the butt of the joke was so many film fans and so right off the bat you are not taking sacred people um, and I don't mean that in a cheap way, but it, the, it was just the reality. Plan Nine was a laughing stock, as was all kinds of legends surrounding. It was it was referred to as the worst movie ever made. Yeah, for a which, long time. Yeah, and so until I, the I new Star Wars movies came out, <laughs> bit of subject material to cover with him, just because of that. And so he can he can put his brand of humor into this without it being disrespectful like it would be with a lot of different stories or people if you covered them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very unique picture um, that covers Ed Wood as a filmmaker. It covers Bella Lugosi. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's playful, but at the same time, it's got the right amount of love for the real people because clearly Burton loved that era of filmmaking and you can see that in everything that he's made prior that we've discussed and moving forward stuff like the aip corman pictures this stuff is all present in what he's making i think I, that go ahead. i love i very much appreciate that the story is about the relationship between ed wood and bella lugosi and i think it's hard. It's hard to do things about Bela's final years and be respectful because he did have a rough time. But I feel like this very much gave you 
the reality of where Bela was in his life and the 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 addictions he had and, and, and things of that nature. But I, I think it is also very loving. And I think it gave Bela a little bit of spotlight and explanation that horror fans needed. And I think that Martin Landau was absolutely fantastic as Bela Lugosi. I he don't was th- great. Th- did he get nominated for an Oscar for that? I think so. I think so. he won. Yeah. Did he win? I know he was uh, nominated, though. But And this was another situation where I don't think anybody but Tim Burton could have done it. I agree. And it was done, certainly done from a, a, a fan's point of view and from a place of love. And I think it really bleeds through, and I really enjoy watching Ed Wood. And it has George the Animal Steel in it as uh, Tor Johnson. I uh, I completely. You actually, I was going to touch the uh, relationship with with Ed Wood and Bella, um, and yeah, I, I can't. I think if anybody else would have got a hold of this story, they would have exploited the cross dressing stuff, which probably most directors are not going to understand. They would have made fun of it. Um, they probably would have exploited the the drug addiction. Um, and and again, like I, I think um, he didn't leave it out of the movie because I hate when movies do that. It's okay if you don't want to touch on something, but, um, you know, it was part of the end of his life. Um, so, I don't know. Like like I said, the, the movie when it first came out wasn't too much on my radar. Um, but it's uh, it, it slowly become like a, just a favorite of, of Tim Burton's. I love this movie. And I was trying to see. I believe he did win. Um... I don't care what Brad Pitt did. Yeah, I believe he did win for uh, Best Actor for that movie. He deserved it if he did. He was fantastic. Which, again, you know what? Um, and as much as I love Tim Burton, uh, they were probably like, ah, well, you shit the bed on Batman, so good luck with your <laughs> next movies. And he's nominated for some Oscars. So um, you're not going to get that from making Batman movies. Well... Mark Landau won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Ed Wood in 1995. There you go. You said, you said I think so. What's what? Brad Pitt doing here? Because he was in the article. What's next, Tony? <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, 1996, Mars Attacks. Mm. Um, <laughs> was Big Lot, I think Big Lots used to be called Odd Lots, maybe, or whatever. I, um... This is how I knew. <laughs> so I'm just again. I'm Mars Attacks. As uh, I had no idea what Mars Attacks was. I when Big Lots open, they used to sell the cards, the trading cards. Um, that's how I found out what Mars Attacks was. So um, I was really excited when they were making this movie. Until I saw it, but I saw this in the theater, and uh, love it. It's delightful. That's all I've got to say. For <laughs> uh, I remember I did not see this in the theater. I remember getting to pick it up off pay-per-view, though. Uh, I was allowed to get movies every so often that way. And I remember enjoying it a lot. Uh, definitely a throwback to so many movies made from that era that we discussed Burton loving. Um, so I think it's it's a very loving film. It also has a massive cast. Um 
when you go back and watch it, it's like, holy shit, there are a lot of cameos galore. Yeah. Yeah. And so while I think that he still continues to have some good movies ahead, I kind of think of this as the end of his initial run um, in the sense of you could pit this first decade. This is actually a little bit more than a decade against any stretch for any director. You know, you go like Carpenter with late seventies to late eighties. The variety is all over the place, but the skill and the quality is always there. And I think this kind of is the the closing chapter on that exciting run that he kicked off his career with. And I, I think it's, it's still enjoyable. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the earlier films we've discussed, but I do think it's good. And I, I still enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I never thought about that. This being kind of the, the bookend to that portion of his filmmaking, but just for fun. I mean, looking at the cast list real quick, as fast as I can, Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, Sarah Jessica Parker, Annette Benning, Glenn Close, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Michael J. Fox, uh, Natalie Portman, Lisa Marie, Sylvia Sidney, Pam Greer, Jack Black. I mean, like wild. It's insane. Joe Don Baker, Christina Applegate. I mean, yeah, it's wild. While I, I en- while I enjoy this movie, <laughs> while I do enjoy this movie, I I do feel like it, there's a certain uh, loss of quality from his previous films. I I feel like this starts to lower a bit. I like it because it's an homage to the old 1950s atomic age cinema type thing. So I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But at the same time, I just feel like they're, it's missing something that the other ones had to where it's not quite as high on my list. But I oh, do yeah. enjoy this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a movie I don't, you don't have to pay a whole lot of attention to. It's just kind of fun to sit down and watch. Yeah. This, so. this movie grew on me. I, I, didn't, I, I liked it enough, uh, I guess. But, it, yeah, it's definitely bottom of the list. It's grown on me a little bit more, and I kind of it's it's an odd movie because there's no way people's gonna sit in the theater watching this for three hours, but it almost feels like there's just so much crammed into this little movie that I don't know if he just had all these bigger ideas or maybe this is what he was going for. Um, I just I feel like the movie's missing something. Um, and again, I, I don't think I don't think people's gonna sit down for three hours watching it. So um, I just think there maybe maybe he there's too many people in the movie and too many characters. Maybe, maybe cut some of that. So, um, yeah, I can't uh, disagree. This is probably like, uh, one of the lower points for him. I don't, I think this probably did okay in the box office. I would imagine it was a large budget just because of the cast alone and the effects. So I doubt it made, um, the money that was put into it. I can't see anybody else having directed it. That's true. And like I said, uh, you know, just the little cards, I, I wasn't, for some reason, maybe it's because it was like, a, I feel like the 50s, 60s, this kind of stuff was bigger then. Um, but I do love the characters, and I do love that there's like a remarket for uh, like Mars Attacks has kind of come back. Cause it I does definitely have love- a huge, uh, <laughs> there's a huge following for it and a lot of merchandise and like the download conventions. Yeah, I do love the look. The aliens are, are perfect and uh, for me, though, the, the scene that stands out, which is probably one of the dumbest scenes in the movie, but it's, it's Sarah Jessica Parker, and he, like, puts her head, like, on this little tiny dog. That's yeah. what I think of when I think of this <laughs> yeah. movie. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's on the uh, the lowest 
spectrum of the list for Tim Burton for me. Good time, so. Okay, what's next? Oh, so moving along, um, 1999 Sleepy Hollow. Mm. This is a good one. Now, this is one of the only films of his that we've covered on the show before, isn't it? At I believe least. so. Yeah. I would say that this is the only straight up horror movie he's ever actually done. I would 100% classify this movie as a horror movie. Yeah. I agree. Um, I just want to say real quickly it's, I just, I love the style of it. I love the way, you know, he put it together. I think when we talked about it at length on the show, the only flaw I thought was just the CGI for the witch doesn't hold up very well. But man, the stuff with Christopher Walken is so good, and it's fun mm-hmm. for him to bring back Walken after working with him in Batman Returns. And um, yeah, it's just just a blast. It's a lot of fun. It's a really cool movie. So I really appreciate that he did it. Yeah, I would say one of the coolest things is a lot of the smaller uh, character actors. A lot of them are in this movie. And uh, this this one was, uh, I'm sure that they probably were like, you know, let's do the PG, pack the seats. Yeah, this was like his, to my knowledge, I think this was his first rated R movie. Um, that he actually, they went for rated R. Because it's not. And, shit, and it has some great horror moments. Great they could, moments. This could easily be a PG-13 movie, too. Uh, if they were, and, I, um, and I think it's important to point out, I'm still not tired of Johnny Depp and Tim Burton at this point, either. Yes. No. So. No, and, I'm uh, still enjoying that. We couldn't get why uh, Winona, but uh, Christina Ritchie is a uh, especially after Adam's family, um, so she was a good uh, fit into this as well. So I don't have much more to add than than what we said last time. Yeah, yeah just, if you want to hear us gush about this? Go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, just great stylized filmmaking from him perfect for halloween time and i'm I'm sure this next one we need to leave some time for Vinny to gush about but 2001 planet of the apes take it away Vinny. well (laughs) (laughs) deep breath i was so excited for this movie to come out so excited i saw this movie and i could not have been more disappointed with it uh, aside from Paul Giamatti was really good in this movie. This, when you remake such an impactful original movie, it's going to be hard for you to live up to it no matter what. But it was almost like they barely tried with this story and with this casting. The only thing that was good about this movie was the makeup. Mm-hmm. So hats off to Tim Burton or to Tim Burton to Rick Baker. <laughs> Rick Baker did a phenomenal job with the makeup for this movie. That being said, I saw some stuff uh, from uh, uh, Stan Winston Studios because they were kind of vying for the job. And they took a different approach with the makeup that they did. And you can find some of the prototype out there. And holy shit, was their makeup amazing. Hmm. But Rick Baker was fantastic with his makeup. Unfortunately, that is the only high spot of these films, of this movie. It's just, God, it was such a disappointment. My favorite part is Michael Clark Duncan getting mad that Mark Wahlberg won't bow his head for grace, and he goes, bow your head! 
<laughs> and, and my friend's brother used to always shout that at us before dinner. <laughs> Man, Shout out to what a Chris. disappointment. What a b- disappointment for me. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not good. I at all. Not ter- I don't think it's terrible. I'll say that. I will honestly come out and say I don't think it's a terrible movie, but I only saw it once in theater. Would you so, put that up against Congo? <sighs> Man, Congo blows this movie out of the water. All right. So <laughs> let's <laughs> When you come at the king, you best not miss. Uh, oh, God, I'm... please don't open this door. <laughs> um, Is that why there's Congo the... action figures in the other room? So, when this would have still been in theaters when 9-11 happened. Yeah. You I think, I think Are this... you saying there's a correlation? <laughs> I'm, saying I'm saying it's it the second worst time. thing that happened that year. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, no, I love the Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, I share that with Vinny. I've seen all of them except this. I've never watched it. Um, oh d- man! And I, I feel like I feel like to be a completist, you almost have to, but you're not going to be happy that you did. Yeah, I just Rick Baker's makeup's astounding. Not part of either of the box sets I have, so I would have to go out of my way to see this, and it just hadn't happened yet because I've never heard uh, much about it that made me want to, whether it was from other people who love Planet of the Apes movies or who just casually saw it, never heard heard much good said about it. So it's just, it's one I haven't watched yet. At some point I will, I'm sure, though. Uh, Kevin Smith also leveled allegations to Tim Burton for stealing his ending from his Oni, double, his Oni uh, Jay and Silent Bob comic book series that he did with that scene at the end where Thade's chimpanzee head is on Abraham Lincoln's body at the Lincoln Memorial. Kevin Smith had already done that in the comic book that he did about Jay and Silent Bob, and so he playfully accused Tim Burton of uh, stealing his idea. Wait, you mean to tell me Kevin Smith might have burned a bridge in Hollywood? <laughs> Well, Tim Burton oh. is a poor man's Kevin Smith. I mean, oh man! Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. Before I get going for it in the further, so I'm I've never really been the biggest Planet of the Apes uh, person. I think I always talk about a lot of sci-fi movies kind of flew over my. Uh, not that most I like a lot of sci-fi movies. I don't break the door down to go see them. Um. I finally watched all of the Planet movies after the last amazing trilogy that came out that somebody hasn't seen. And well, um, refuses actually. Refuses yeah. is the word. You know what? For. You know what? That stance has changed in the Abner home, and I'm going to go on record on this episode. The wife and I are ready to try the new trilogy. Uh, that's what I like to hear. That's what yes. I like to hear. So, um, I liked them well enough that I wanted to because. Uh, so I, I watched the, I bought a box set for my dad. So I watched the box set. Um, even not being a huge fan, not really seeing all of the movies. I didn't care for this movie. And, and this is, this is really going to show how weird it is. I've never ever in any format owned this movie. Um, it doesn't really stick with me. All I can remember is that they tried, they changed the line to where an ape says, the get your damn hands off me and I remember the ending they flip flopping it I just I didn't care for this movie it's um, not good yeah but um you're this, and look you're, you're talking about you're talking about having the opportunity to do a remake of a film the original film spawned 
what, four sequels, an animated series, <laughs> a toy line, and a television series. How bad did you shit the bed when you put out one movie and that's the end? Well, and I feel like Nothing this, else gets done with it. I feel like the only reason this got made, too, which is funny that you bring up Kevin Smith, is because the Superman movie that he was working on getting canned. And I feel like that's why he jumped ship to, to Planet of the Apes. There's a documentary that finally came out about the, the Death of Superman film. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, actually, I still would like to see his version of Superman. It's, it's pretty wacky. Uh, I would not. You don't want to see Nicolas Cage in a mullet? That shit can stay on a, a bootleg table at the conventions. It's definitely a cool doc to watch, but Kevin Smith wrote one of the versions that uh, he tried to get in the movie, which then he complains that Wild Wild West stole the the big spider. So, um, the next film again, we're back to small indie ish, but 2003 Big Fish, uh, which I think I might have took my dad to see because this is kind of a perfect uh, Father's Day movie. And where it doesn't seem like this would be a huge like Tim Burton movie, he's definitely all over this one again, and kind of like the Edward Scissorhands, uh, got the the feels there of uh, of um, the father son story going. So this film is a masterpiece. It's probably in my top fifty favorite films of all time. I cry every time I see it. Uh, it's it's definitely got his signature all over it, and just again with the playfulness and the and just the, the way that he does the storytelling, and uh, even a fun little horror bit with a witch in this one as well. Um, but definitely not a horror movie by any stretch of the imagination, but a phenomenal film. I agree, and I I echo all of your sentiments on that, and I feel that this movie to me was Tim Burton's last masterpiece and when i when it came out at the time that's how i felt about it and for the next several movies that have put out i was like this is the last really solid thing that tim burton has done there's one yeah. other that i'll get to later that i really enjoyed but for a long time i felt like this this was the last great piece of work that he put out yeah as we get into the filmmaking where we've left at least for me the years of my youth where i was really keeping up with everything he made this is this is the best thing he made um past that kind of classic chapter of filmmaking that i mentioned earlier um i think you could make an argument that it's his sweetest film uh pitted only against edward scissorhands um it's just fantastic um yeah i think it's it i would agree it's his, it's his last great film and the last thing I'll say, I mean, and it's not it, his direction, his storytelling is phenomenal, but the acting too. I mean, just Billy Crudup and Albert Finney and Danny DeVito and um, Steve Buscemi. And I mean, just the list goes on. I mean, it's just it, all the puzzle pieces are there. It almost feels like he'd been drinking with the Coen brothers a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> I, I think he's still got some good movies. This is his last original type of like a after this it, it almost goes to uh tapping into something uh remake or, or source but um we're ready to move forward because i'll just go to the next movie yep so speaking of that is 2005 charlie and the chocolate factory i do like this version but it, nothing will ever top gene wilder and the only so reason I can, I can accept this version is because i do love the book and it it, it kind of touches on there and there's the one bingo card that i let slip but um, 
I do love though that uh, Christopher Lee, the backstory stuff, and then it's and and uh, I'm blanking on his name, Freddie Highmore. I love that little kid. So um, I liked it well enough for that. But yeah, Willy Wonka, the original, to me is um, it's and you like can't get, remaking the Wizard of Oz. Why? And you and you can't get scarier either than the acid trip with uh, Gene Wilder. So I don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, I grew up loving Roald Dahl books, and so I appreciated that he tried to get into a little bit more of the sinister approach with this film. But, you know, maybe maybe this is just for another generation of younger people. It just left me flat. I mean, it, it's not a bad movie. I just personally didn't need it. The, the original will always be the one I turn to. I'll never watch this again. Never. Never. And I don't give a shit about his backstory. Two things. Never seen Willy Wonka. Never seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Get the fuck out of my face. (laughs) You're you're off the show. Congratulations. And we know he can't read, so he's never read the book. (laughs) Oh, my lord. So, what's next? With as many times as I see you watch the same shit over and over again. You have never never seen the original Gene Wilder. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, if it was as interesting as Lone Wolf McQuaid, I'd give it a shot. But, I mean, hey, Lone Wolf McQuaid I, is actually pretty good. I know, it's, I, know it's no, I know it's not Iron Eagle 3. <laughs> there were only two Iron Eagles. Oh, no, there's, hey, a, uh, there's a third. Over, when this pandemic's over, Abner, do you want to maybe go with me and we could find Gene Wilder's grave let you spit on it? <laughs> all right Todd, move on we've been doing this for three hours let's go bud yeah let's do the rapid fire mediocrity that just threw me off because i know that you haven't seen either of those movies but you've seen more than two medea movies so (laughs) okay rolling in um i was gonna jump because i was gonna partner with corpse bride but people probably are thinking, why the hell aren't they talking about Nightmare Before Christmas? So that what a perfect time to pair it up with Corpse Bride. <laughs> Corpse Bride, directed by him, 2005. Nightmare Before Christmas was never directed by Tim Burton. So that's Not at all. Know. Tim Burton was too, was he too busy with Batman Returns? Was, Is that Batman, what he's busy doing? Batman Returns. Uh, but he created, like, it's kind of like Poltergeist with Spielberg. It came from his head. Uh, he worked on the movie forever. Still has a large part of it, but uh, not the director. He was not the director, and his. They insisted on putting his name on. There's a great documentary out right now on Netflix where, that you can watch. There's it's a two parter. There's one on Elf, and the other one is on Nightmare Before Christmas, and it really pulls back the curtain on Nightmare Before Christmas and shows you how very little Tim Burton had any involvement with this movie, aside from a lot of the character design. So, um, Corpse Bride, 2005, Depths, The Voice. I uh, saw it when it came out, own it, saw it a few times. This movie doesn't stick with me, and I'm, it's still it's worth a watch, but um, I think when I want to watch a Tim Burton cartoon, I probably watch Nightmare, which, again, is not exactly Tim Burton. but It's, it's beautifully done. The stop motion is beautiful. The character design, the, the, the set design, everything is absolutely full of that Tim Burton whimsy and it's fantastic to look at, but, and I own it on DVD, but there is something that just isn't quite there with it for me. 
I agree. Yeah, I I mean, just to kind of clarify as we run quickly through these last movies, there isn't much left uh, with the exception of a couple uh, that I have even much to say on. Like, they start to blend together for me, and I think part of it's because I was older as these came out, and the variation in his filmmaking kind of dwindles down to where we're we're kind of going back to the well with a lot of this stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the skill set in this, it's visually, uh, Corpse Bride is is a beautiful movie, but, you know, it just doesn't do a whole lot for me. I have not seen The Corpse Bride, and... Uh, that surprises friend, me that your wife has not had you watch that. I don't know that she's into it. I mean, because she used to love Nightmare Before Christmas. She's kind of gotten kind of... Uh, uh, lukewarm on Nightmare Before Christmas, even. Um, I feel I, like Carrie loves probably like I feel like because probably even her age, age range, Corpse Bride. It should, yeah. I mean, it would it would fit, and it seems like it'd be right up her alley. Um, but yeah, in the time we've been together, she's never proposed watching it together. Hmm. Um, okay. And Nightmare Before Christmas is is okay, but it's just never really hit for me either. It when I saw it in the theater when it came out, I was bored with it. Yeah. When I saw it in the theater. I, I, I was like a 13-year-old kid, too. You know? I do love that, that Disney wouldn't touch that movie, that they put it out under the Touchstone label, and now yeah. Disney's all, like, it's Disney's Nightmare Before yep. Christmas. Yeah. Okay, what's next? Uh, so, 2007, Sweeney Todd. I'll go first. Um, uh, Sweeney Todd is a story that I really like, and I wanted to see this when it came out, and I put it off and put it off, and I just saw it for the first time, like, two years ago. And um, it's pretty well done, but it's such a downer. Like, I mean, the story of Sweeney Todd's a downer, right? It's a, it's a bummer, man, as the dude would say. Like, <laughs> um, I think it's well done, but it's such a bummer that I don't know. I'm not going to be in any real hurry to watch it again. So, well done, well acted. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, but at the same time, I think maybe just because the, the content's such a downer. It just kind of turned me off from watching it any more time since then. I was never in a rush to watch it. Last weekend, I put it on to finally sit down and watch it. I got 15 minutes in and turned it off. <laughs> I could not get into it. The musical numbers turned me off. And I'm, I'm a guy who doesn't mind a musical. I, you know, I love Little Shop of Horrors, uh, you know, shit like that. Um, Sweeney Todd's couldn't. like musical musical, though, where they don't, they don't talk a lot. It's, it's yeah, a, I, lot of, I just, a lot of songs. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And honestly... I have such Tim Burton, Johnny Depp fatigue yeah. that it's very hard for me to sit through that anything that they did later later on. Yeah, I actually have a soundboard set up where I'm going to hit a button and say the same thing about the next like three movies. <laughs> no, it, with this, um, it's visually it's got the goods that you tune in for uh, with Burton. Uh, I like some of the gore, as I remember. But I just don't enjoy movies where there's almost no actual talking, as Toddy pointed out. Yeah. That's exhausting to me. Um, and, yeah, I, people loved this when it came out. And that's when I quickly realized that, at that point, maybe people loved the brand more than the, the actual product each time. It's just like, hey, the new Tim Burton movie's out. I love it. And so, you know, I, I, I just... It was fine, but it's, again, it's not something I want to put on again. This is where I start to compare Tim Burton to Rob Zombie. And that art direction-wise, their films always look fantastic. Yeah. 
but the content may not be that great. Yeah. Sorry, and I wasn't uh, mocking Rob Zombie by saying yeah three times in a row. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy this movie. Um, I think it's funny because when I... You only like because it say Todd in it. Well, I was gonna say Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. I I always think of Jersey Girl because the little girl just like loves the story, and they go see the the like school play or they, something they crazy. Do the, they do the school. Play. Yeah, they do this in the school play. Uh, which Jersey Girl, by the way, I don't care what he says, it's the best Kevin Smith movie. Um, he was on board with that till it flopped. Anyways, um, Sweeney Todd to me the scene stiller is Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter loved, and then this is probably the first time the world knew that Johnny Depp could sing. Um, it's not something that I'm playing in my car all the time, but um, I think that's what probably people were like, "Oh my God, he can he can sing too." So um, he can talk. He can talk. I can sing. <laughs> Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. <laughs> so yeah, that's um. I don't really have a lot of in depth. I don't remember a whole lot about the movie. From it's it's not on a, a lot of rewatch. So. It's because it's forgettable. Um, Next. Something we should just pair uh, 2010's Alice in Wonderland with 2019's Dumbo. Both Disney. Both remakes. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, To me, I need a Johnny Depp as Dumbo. (laughs) Wait, you mean he wasn't? I haven't seen either one. Not going to. So, uh, on to Vinny. I'll hit Alice first. Alice should have been a an absolute opus for Tim Burton. This should have been Tim Burton at his absolute finest, and it wasn't. It was over-stylized. I don't know whose idea it was to have Johnny Depp do that jabberwocky bullshit at the end. I don't know who designed Johnny Depp's Mad Hatter. It was it was just it was too much. It was too much. It was overdone. It, it, didn't, um, feel, it didn't feel like Tim Burton either. It, it, I mean, it had this. You you could feel that it was Tim Burton, but I don't know. Just something something didn't work. Dumbo. Dumbo is possibly my favorite Disney movie. It's definitely in my top three. I love Dumbo. And so I was skittish about it when I heard Tim Burton was getting a hold of it because of what Tim Burton has become. And I was excited that it wasn't a Johnny Depp, Tim Burton movie. So I went to go see it and man, I was so disappointed with it. How do you take a movie called Dumbo about Dumbo the elephant and make it all about the human beings that you made up for the movie? I just, man, they missed so bad with this and I wanted it to be so great. And it, it, to me, it just really shit the bed. Yeah. Uh, I did not see Dumbo. (laughs) Haven't watched that yet. Uh, I did watch Alice in Wonderland. I would like to call it autopilot in Wonderland. It just feels completely uninspired. I barely remember it other than visually Depp reminding me of, you know, the Willy Wonka. Uh, It's just, yeah, completely forgettable as is a lot of these movies for me at this point. It's too bad. Our theater didn't do 3d till a little bit later. This is right after avatar. So I remember we drove to Dayton because I wanted to see it in 3D because it's Tim Burton. 
Alice in Wonderland in 3D. Um, I feel like I slept through the movie. And <laughs> this is really weird to say, because I liked it enough, but I don't remember much about it, that I could have cared less that they made the sequel to this. Uh, that I, I'm trying to think. I feel like I watched it too, but I don't remember nothing about it. Um, Dumbo I liked better, but I feel like I, I, Dumbo did not feel like Tim Burton at all. And I was very excited to go in because the thing that sold me was Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito being in the film. Um, but it, it was good, but it wasn't, it, it didn't feel like Tim Burton at all. And I feel like well, that, Al- that Alice in Wonderland movie, they like would show flashbacks from the original story from the book. And I was like, Hey, that looks like that'd be a cool movie. <laughs> <laughs> drove me nuts. Yeah. So I, I, I have no problem that he's working with Disney, but to me, I would be more excited of that. They're going to do a live action black cauldron with Tim Burton. Um, I, I feel oh, like you mean should, Lord of the Rings. Don't just, don't just throw his name out there because uh, it's Tim, like, like maybe pair it with something that feels more like Tim Burton. So like a snow white movie, I think would have been awesome. Uh, I think he could have done well with like what they did with Maleficent, way better than making her like a good guy. So I don't know. Better Disney movies to pick. Um, moving along, 2012's Dark Shadows. So I had no intention of seeing this, but my wife enjoyed it, and so she talked me into watching it. And while I, I. I was surprised that like it, it wasn't bad, but it like you know I didn't I didn't dislike watching the movie, but it's pretty forgettable. Um, right, uh, very I think, forgettable. I think it was an okay idea, right, to take like Dark Shadows, which was this gothic soap opera that ran for you know six million episodes, and and try to make a movie out of it. I think I, I think that I think that was a good concept. It was a good idea to try. Um, yeah. Again, and I think I think it was executed as well as it could be, but again, it was it was forgettable, not bad, but forgettable. Yeah, I I feel the same way, and that's the problem with these movies at this point. They're great concepts, but every one of them turns into the Tim and Johnny show, yes. where we yes. do the same shtick in each of these films when we're wasting valuable property. And Johnny Depp's got range. Tim Burton's got range in his skill set. Like, why aren't we? trying to branch out a little bit at this point in each of their careers. Each one of these movies feels like the same injection into a popular beloved property. And I just, I I don't know. I just find them disappointing. And, 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 you know, like Grizz says, when you watch these movies, dark shadows is no exception to that. It's entertaining. Like it's fine. But an hour after you've watched it, you don't remember it. There's just nothing to them. I had no frame of reference. I had never, I'd never really watched dark shadows. So I wasn't going into it with any kind of mindset that I was going to be upset that they weren't uh, paying homage to source material or anything like that. I think that I most definitely was suffering from Burton depth fatigue at this point. Um, I remember a line that sticks out to me about the whole movie was when Alice Cooper was playing the house party and uh, Barnabas saying that Cooper woman is hideous. That one, that line yeah, is the one that. that cracks me up. But it's immediately canceled out by the whole bad line by the werewolf girl. I can't even remember exactly how it went, 
But it's like, yeah, I'm a werewolf, get over it, or some bullshit like that. It was just a really bad line. It was like an X-Men when Storm's like, do you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? Like, just a bad line in the movie. Was that Schwarzenegger and, doing and so, Oh, <laughs> so the remember, going I dead. remember by the, by the end of it, I just didn't give a shit. And, and again, so fatigued by Johnny Depp and Tim Burton being paired. And I and what another thing that I hate about this point of, of uh, Burton's career is why ha- are you doing so many remakes? Why are I mean he's such a creative mind who had such an original stamp to put on things, and then there's these years where it's nothing but rehashed ideas, and it was just I don't know it was kind of depressing. Yeah, like he just lost his mojo. Well, if you don't watch all 5,000 episodes of Dark Shadows and the two movies, then I'm just kidding. I I've, I think I might have seen the episode as it would play now and then when I was younger. I know that Dark Shadow fans hate this movie, um, probably because the tone's absolutely different. I find it funny and entertaining, but I also can't lie and say that I find it memorable either. I did love that Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. Alice Cooper's my favorite part of the whole movie. And there's a couple lines here and there that are pretty funny. But um, all in all, yeah, it's a forgettable movie. So that's all I have to say, and I'll just move along because the next one I really love, and I was okay that he remade it because it's his own work, but 2012, uh, Frank and Weenie. I own this on Blu-ray. Oh, this, this, this was the moment that Tim Burton redeemed himself a little bit for me because I, you know, I was disappointed with him, to be honest with you, for a lot of years. And then he did this Frank and Winnie. And while he was rehashing old ideas, I really enjoy Frank and Winnie. I think Frank and Winnie's a lot of fun. I love I love stop motion animation anyway. And I just thought that this was uh, at least it was his own work that he was rehashing. And I really enjoyed Frank and Winnie. Uh, keep it short because the computer battery is dying. Haven't seen stop. it. Uh, yeah. I think it's inspired. I think he got to make the movie he wanted. Um, and I thought we got a glimpse back into some of his greatness with this. It's one I would recommend. Uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites from him. The original, um, Wilson says it all the time, if there's a purpose for a remake, and I think this one is because the original was a short. Um, I love, too, that even down to the marketing, like the soundtrack, none of the songs are really used in the movie. But it's all songs that f- would have fit in. So, like, they cover Pet Cemetery and um, a lot of e- even probably more quirky characters that, that I've missed for a while are in this movie because of, um, I- again, even though it's it's um, a remake of at least his source, there hadn't, I feel like Tim Burton movies haven't felt like Tim Burton movies as much. So, um, I love this movie. Um, also, really enjoyed 2014 Big Eyes. This definitely doesn't feel like a Tim Burton movie. But I was okay with it because it's a drama. Uh, true story about the artist that I can't think of her name, but she made all the big eye paintings, and her husband. Margaret Keane. Yes, and her husband took the credit for it. It's actually a really good movie if you've never seen it. Yes, I have never seen it. For no other reason of this episode, I want to shout: Watch this movie. It is okay. excellent. Um, it's completely out of the ordinary for him, and it's a story that it's awesome that it was told. Um, it's nice. got a great cast. Uh, Amy Adams, Christoph Waltz, Danny Houston. Um, but yeah, as Toddy mentioned, based on a true story of a woman that was basically uh, had phenomenal success in the 50s and then had it tied up 
uh, by her husband trying to steal credit for her work. And um, yeah, it's 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 a good movie. Good. I'll put that on the list. All right. Uh, and then we have 2016 Miss Pretty Grinds Home for Per. I can't even say the damn thing, but it's based on the book. I'm uh, so excited. This to see is Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yes, is that the one. Um, so the book to me was very intriguing because the guy found these weird pictures that were um, uh, kind of like probably just like a mess up of film or something. But he made, uh, collected them and then made a whole story around it. Um, I felt like Tim Burton could have done this way better, but I feel like this was not a Tim Burton movie. Um, the book's cool. I want to say Danny Elfman's even missing from this from him at this point. Maybe I only watched it uh, when it came out. And I haven't watched it. I-, I was so disappointed. I haven't watched it since. Um, it's not horrible, but considering the source material and uh, and that it's Tim Burton, highly disappointed. I yep, watched this lesson. last weekend. I had never read any of the source material. Uh, I'd never seen it before, so I watched it last weekend. It, it's got the whimsy of Tim Burton. I can see where it's a Tim Burton feel. I can feel him in there. Um, I did enjoy it, but at the end of the day, it felt it was kind of like a Lemony Snicket's. Like it felt like it came out around that bunch of movies. It felt a little X Men. I liked it okay. I probably, if I had seen it, had I been a youngster and watched it, I'd probably have a different opinion of it. But all in all, I just thought it was okay. Yeah, looks cool. I have not seen it, but my wife loves it. So I will okay. give the audience that. All right. Uh, and so the Dumbo is his, the last film that he's produced mm. or directed. Um, I know that Adam's Family, I think, is the next lineup. Beetlejuice 2 keeps floating around. I actually would be kind of excited to see what he would do with Adam's Family. But at the same time, I agree with all that we've been saying. I kind of would like Tim Burton, whatever that he's had in his mind that he hasn't put out there for the last 20 years is what I would rather see. So... Something yeah. new. Yep, I agree. Good times. I was today years old when I found out that uh, Tim Burton did not do From Hell. <laughs> and I was today years old when I found out that he had nothing to do with the Adams Family movies. <laughs> <laughs> I can see. I can see uh, Adams Family. From Hell, though, really is uh, other than Johnny Depp. It was during that time, man, like where Burton was putting out a Johnny Depp movie every other year. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. That's Tim Burton. <laughs> he also didn't do Crybaby, just so you know. <laughs> what? The only the key giveaway that he didn't do from Hell is that Johnny Depp talks like a human being in that. <laughs> yeah. From Hell is the, uh, the brothers that directed Menace to Society. Nice. All right. Well, wrapping up a strangely long episode that we didn't expect to be so long. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy, Stay Scary. <laughs>